said, Bill, I think it's time to share just that vision that God, that you've been working on. And so we are in a series right now. We're starting today. It's called, called, and, um, and I'm going to be partnering with Pastor Jared. We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the call of Jesus to follow him and to be his disciples. And the way that this began early on, um, I've been working with a mentor, Jeff Lewis. He has uh, spoken here, preached here before. He was a Cal Baptist professor for many, many years in the area of missions. So as soon as I got this job in missions and discipleship, I reached out to him. And one of the things he told me on that very first conversation, it stuck with me. And he said this, he said, if Jesus mandate was to go into and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all, my, all my, that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. If that's his command for his disciples, and it is, then what shouldn't we look to him to know what kind of disciples he wants us to be making? That stuck with me. I was like, wow. Um, that's what discipleship is, is it's, it's disciple-making. And so I started pursuing that um, with him and just in study and in conversations and working together with the various uh, um, colleagues here. Uh, we've come to what we feel like is a vision or a target for discipleship at Trinity Church. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next week because here's the reality is we want to remain faithful as a church to the very central core thing that God uh, told us was our purpose. And that was to make disciples. So um, this is a part of that. Missions, though, is not an aspect of discipleship. So you may think that, okay, this is one of the things God told us to do. Missions really is the out come of discipleship. And so without knowing it, um, uh, two years ago when, when Todd Arnett, our former lead pastor, said, Bill, I'd like you to take this missions position, I said to him, I'd like to do that, but I want to focus on the foundation of missions, discipleship. Because I knew in my heart that if we do discipleship right at Trinity Church, we're going to make, we're going to be doing missions. Because to do discipleship is to do missions. And so that was part of the, the way that I came to be in this position and to have discipleship as part of my title and role here at Trinity. So that said, there is no doubt that Trinity has been making disciples up to this point, right? I've been a part of this community for 27 years my wife, I'm not going to say how many, but she grew up in our youth group here at Trinity Church. How many of you would say that because of being a part of this local church family, you either came to faith here or you have grown in your faith here? Okay. So I think Trinity, we can say Trinity's been doing discipleship, right? But we want to excel still more. If this is what God's called us to do, then it is imperative that we continue to focus on that and that we actually improve and find greater success for God's glory. That is the heart that's behind this series. 
so strengthening our practice of discipleship at Trinity, I believe, starts with two things, two steps. First is to clarify what type of disciples Jesus wants us to be and to be making. Okay, that's the first thing. And the second is to identify how should we be doing it together. So I'm going to take the first thing, and then Jared's going to come up in, in three weeks, and he's going to talk about the second. How should we be doing it? So I see this as a target in our, on our back wall there. And I think that what I've realized is while we've had pieces of that target, I've wondered, are there pieces missing? Pieces that we've just failed to focus on that Jesus said this is important. Or are there pieces of discipleship that are really critical for this next season of our life as a church that, that we need to focus in on? It's like we, we aim, we're at the archery range, right? And we're aiming at the target. If there are pieces missing of that target, it's harder to hit it. So what we need at Trinity Church is a clear, holistic, biblical target for discipleship that we cannot miss. How about that? That's what we want to aim at, and that's what we're trying to look at from God's word over the next few weeks. And there are three reasons that I've identified that I believe that we need this. The first is this. I believe we need to address a pandemic in the church. I, I have wondered, and as a pastor, when we entered the pandemic, I thought, this is it. This is one of those things that God is going to use to just blow up his, the, the, the church. The gospel is going to reach the needs of people. And why is it that over half of the evangelical churches in our country, I'm just kind of making that up, but I think it's, it's about true, are about half the size in Sunday attendance as they, and, and engagement in the church activities than they were before the pandemic. That is true of Trinity Church. Praise the Lord, we're, we're, we're growing and we're committed to each other, but we are about half the size of attendance and engagement. And that's true of churches all over the place. And a number of churches have closed their doors. So I think the pandemic revealed a pandemic in the church. And I believe that it's a very complicated thing. But one of the things that is missing is a, is a, a focus on biblical discipleship. The second thing is I think this pandemic has actually been going on for a while. If you've been a part of the church, we have this crisis where kids who are being raised in the church are going off to college. Not every kid is, is, is quitting the church, but a lot of kids, when they go off to college, they stop going to church. And many of them stop, the, stop believing, stop acti actively pursuing the faith. That has been existing and talked about for years. So I believe that's part of that pandemic. Could it be that we're not giving them in their experience in church a a full, clear picture of discipleship. So when they hit the challenges in this culture, they fade away rather than standing up. That's another goal. And so we believe that, that God is leading us at Trinity to refine and refocus our activities at Trinity around a biblical practice of discipleship. The second reason, I've already referred to it, is to help 
to us to be a church for our time. Do you know that that was Trinity's original mission statement in 1980? Was we are a people longing to glorify God, that we want to be a church for the people of our time. We can never lose sight of what's happening in our culture and that, the, that God has called us to be a church for the people living today and living tomorrow. And so um, our culture is shifting, isn't it? Do you feel it? The kids probably in schools feel it the most, that our culture is becoming increasingly antagonistic toward biblical Christianity. And if we don't teach a holistic discipleship like Jesus did, we're not going to be effective in the culture God has placed us in. He's put us in this generation for a reason. You were born into these times for a reason. And so that's the second reason. We believe a biblical understanding and practice of discipleship is the best way that we can fulfill our mission to reach this culture for Jesus. And the third is very, very simple. We believe that identifying this target for discipleship will unify us in focusing our efforts on the main thing together, and that is the work of God, of proclaiming the gospel and seeing his kingdom grow through us and in us. So it will also bring us greater success and joy in that mission together. So I am no expert. I'm a learner. And so I would love to just go to prayer today before we uh, dig into the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for your presence with us. We praise you for this gathering of people, Lord, whom you've called to come today and to sing your praises, to fellowship with one another, to devote ourselves to the teaching from your word. God, we are, we are here and wanting to hear from you as, we, as we're asking the question, what do you have in mind for us as your disciples to be and, and to do? And so, God, we pray that you would speak clearly to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to give you five seconds to think about this, okay? All right, just think about it. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word discipleship? Okay, what are some of your answers? Just jot them out. Nurturing. Following Jesus, okay. Say that again. Brotherhood, so the fellowship. Be a learner, making a decision. Commitment, time. Training. Teachable. Did any of you think of a person in your life? Who helped you grow? Isn't that how we do all of these things? Is we invest in each other's lives, right? So you've nailed it. That's exactly what it is. It is this process of growth and training, and, and, and it happens together, right? This isn't something I have to figure out on my own, praise the Lord. But it happens together with God and with his people, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And it's so aligned with the vision that Pastor Doug has given us for this season of transition, right? His, the, the vision that he gave us is journeying to, uh, with Jesus together toward transformation. Isn't that a nice definition of discipleship? 
It's got the, the transformation and the together journeying with Jesus. So, but before we can think of discipleship as this process, which is the first thing that came to most everybody's minds, we have to think of it as a position. And one of you said it's a decision, and that's true. So we can't talk about the process of discipleship unless we are first a disciple. And that's the first point in your notes, that discipleship begins by becoming a disciple of Jesus. You have to take that first step, and then the discipleship process begins of growth in, in your faith. So um, I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to talk. And I didn't tell Henry about this. Sorry, Henry, on the lights. But um, Blake, you're in school, right? You go to Hope University? Hope International, OK. How's it going? Okay, it's good to see you here today. So um, what makes you a student at Hope International University? Okay, he just said he's enrolled there and he's learning there, and that is exactly the right answer. Good job, Blake. I thought, I thought he was going to say, because I go there, right? And I was going to say, well, if I go there, am I a student? No. You have to be enrolled to be recognized, right? So that when he graduates, all of his credits are being recorded, right? And so that, that there's an official sense that you are a student at the Hope International University. And that is the same with discipleship. We have to be enrolled as Jesus' disciple if we want to begin the process of discipleship. So... I would recommend that we go to Jesus himself to find out how we enroll in his school of discipleship. How does that sound? All right, so we're going to go to Mark 1.1, the first verse in the book of Mark. Mark was one of the disciples of Jesus that wasn't an original. So he was the product of the disciples making disciples. Isn't that cool? So Mark wrote the book of Mark, and he began in verse 1 with this verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes on, and, and he talks about John the Baptist. We talked about him in Malachi. Very, very important role as going before the Messiah to prepare the way. And then he talks about how Jesus was baptized by John, and then Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan, and he did not sin. He came out with a perfectly clean record, and that brings us to verse 14. All right, and that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're in Mark 1, verse 14. This is what Jesus says, now, or this is what Mark says. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Mark gets right into the action of the story. This is the way Mark writes. If you read it, he, he is just going to jump right in. None of this birth of Christ, right? Luke cared for that, right? He's going to jump right into the ministry of Jesus. So we're looking at his inaugural address, right? Jesus is 30 years old. He's beginning his ministry. These are his first words, according to Mark, 
This is how he began. And he says what? It's time. It's time. The kingdom is of God is among us. And that word means it's near, right? At hand almost has that sense of I can touch it. It's right here. It's, I, I'm here. It's kind of what Jesus is saying, right? The king is here. The kingdom has come. And so what we see from Mark and from Jesus is that hearing the gospel is where discipleship begins. Hearing the gospel is where discipleship begins. So what is the gospel? Well, I recommend, um, I went online, uh, recommended uh, to R.C. Sproul. He has two little 20-minute talks on the gospel. And so uh, I'm going to put them up on your screens, but in the first one, he's looking at what is the gospel. And he, he talks about four different ways the understanding of the gospel developed in the New Testament time. So it should be up here. A chart, there it is. So the Greeks, right, the New Testament was written in Greek. The word for gospel is euangelion. And that comes from you, which means good, right? It's in euphemism. It's a good way to say something that's not so good. A eulogy is a good word about someone at their services, right? Their memorial service. You means good. And angelion has message. There's the word angel in it, right? A messenger. So the gospel to the Greeks just meant it's a good message. It's good news. So someone's bringing news, it's good news. That's the meaning of the word gospel. The apostles decided when they wrote their story about Jesus, so it's an eyewitness account, so that we would have it, right? They decided to call their account a gospel. And we just saw that in Mark. Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the apostles took that word and decided this is the good news about Jesus. And so when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the good news about Jesus. Everything about him, his, his, who he was. Um, many of the gospel writers go back and they're quoting Old Testament prophecies so people would see this is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament is, is in Messiah Jesus. And then we move through his story, life story and all of his teaching and we come to the climax of the gospel, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the gospel is the whole story and it even ends all the way with Revelation, doesn't it? That we, talk, we sang about today, this glorious return of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So that's how the apostles started to use the word. And then Jesus used the word. We saw it in our passage. What is the gospel? It's the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom, he, that's the gospel. The gospel is that the kingdom is here. I am doing a new thing. I am making a new people. New, it, it's the fulfillment of everything the, that the Old Testament, the history has come to to this point. And so Jesus talks about the kingdom. So many of his parables and his teachings were about the kingdom. That's what the gospel was to Jesus. And, of course, to the apostles again. They write all these letters to the early church during the book of Acts, which is the story after Jesus 
uh, returns to the Father and gives the Holy Spirit and the church is born. The, the apostles write letters to help the early church understand and follow Jesus together. And all of a sudden, the gospel takes on the meaning of what we just sang about in the power of the cross. Right? So they take the climax of the gospel because it's so significant what happened on the cross of Jesus. What happens when we put our faith in him? Forgiveness of sins. You're adopted into his family. You're justified. You're made righteous before him. You're, um, we, we have a living hope now. Right? We're brought into a new community. We become brothers and sisters. Do you see how the epistles go on and on about the significance of what Jesus did on the cross? And so that's probably the main way we think about the gospel now, isn't it? It's the death and resurrection. But don't forget that it's everything about Jesus, and it's his kingdom and how we ought to live as people in his kingdom. So that's the gospel but hearing the gospel isn't enough. Look at what Jesus said, right? He's proclaiming the gospel of God, but he says what? Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is saying, you have to do something with what I'm proclaiming. And so that's our next point. Um, before we get to that point, um, I want you to notice that Jesus' message of repent and believe was John's message, the forerunner, right? So if you look back a few verses, John is declaring what, what Mark says is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this call to repent is preparing the way for what Jesus came to do, which is forgive sins. So repentance is... Uh, part of this message. People were coming, Mark says, from all over the place confessing their sins. That's how the way was being prepared for Jesus. So repentance simply means a change of mind. That's what the Greek word means, a change of mind, right? A change of direction. So I was going this way, and I met Jesus. I hear the gospel. Jesus says you have to change your way. You have to change your direction. Change your mind about me. And then what's that next step? Belief. So it's both repentance and belief. So I love this definition in a Greek dictionary. It said this, it's a prerequisite for experiencing the reign of God. You cannot give your, the, the, the rule of your life over to God unless you change direction. You surrender your own rule of yourself to, to God. That is repentance, right? So that is critical. So according to Jesus, to become his disciple, one must hear the gospel and then respond with repentance and belief. That is your second notes. You become a disciple when you hear the gospel and respond with repentance and belief. Then you're enrolled in Jesus' school of discipleship. You have become a disciple. And so it is a decision to repent and believe. I want to talk about repentance a little bit. It indicates a major life change, right? That's what the word means. I thought about it. It's a change of mind. Like, I used to think this way, and now I think this way. 
It's a change of direction. I used to be living for myself. Now I'm, I'm following, I'm going after God and what he wants for my life. It's a change of heart, right? It takes a change of heart. And maybe most importantly, it's a change of who's in charge, <laughs> right? It's a change of who's in charge. So all that, if we think of repentance as change, I think that helps us understand what Jesus is calling for. I think we neglect the importance of repentance. In, at Trinity Church, uh, we have the ABCs, and it's a, a wonderful and very helpful way. It's right on our, our website of how do you lead someone to the Lord? How do you help someone become a believer, a Christian? And so we have the ABCs. What does the A stand for? We admit that we're a sinner. And that is true, but I, I, if we do not have the weight of repentance in the admitting that we're a sinner, then it's not aligned with what Jesus called us to do. Okay, so, so admitting we're a sinner, I, I, I can admit that. I hate some of the things I do. But what Jesus calls for is a, a, a turning away from that sin and torn, turning toward him. Do you understand the difference? So when we talk about the ABCs, um, we need to remember that A is a pretty significant change. It's not just admitting. It's, it's a change with that admission. So... Um, Jesus clearly teaches, we're going to actually dig into this change a little bit further. Jesus clearly teaches that his disciples cannot have any competing affections in their love for him. That's something we're going to look at in the next two, few weeks. No competing affections. Well, that's going to require not only the initial repentance, but ongoing repentance, isn't it? And that's part of the journey of discipleship. But we'll talk about that in the future so what kind of things should we repent for? If I'm brand new and I realize I have just heard the gospel and I need to do something, here are some thoughts that I had. The sin of unbelief. Right? If you've never believed, then we all have that sin of unbelief. And, and the apostles talk about that. They didn't, believe in the, they didn't believe the gospel. So the sin of unbelief is usually there's resistance before there's surrender. And it's confessing that resistance in our hearts to the lordship of Christ. The sin of pride, usually we set ourselves above God, right? We have our own thoughts of this is what God's like. This is how I get to heaven. I can, I can work my way in by being good enough. Isn't that what we think before we hear the gospel? And the gospel says, oh no, Jesus had to give his life for your sins to be forgiven, to be granted eternal life. So confessing the sin of pride. The third thing that we might confess is the sin of idolatry. We worship and value people and things above God. That might be some of those things that we can confess. And then the last thing is the sin of lawlessness. Right? Immorality. We live recklessly, hurting ourselves and hurting others. And we confess that sin when we repent and believe the gospel. So those are just some, some thoughts on repentance. When we hear the, good, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, he tells us to repent and believe. And believe is the second letter of the ABCs, isn't it? 
Okay, so this is good. We're, we're on to something. So you believe in the gospel. So according to Jesus, what we are to believe in is the good news about him. Right? We're just to believe that he is who he said he is. Right? Simply said, belief is trust. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. That's belief. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So belief is not just an intellectual profession. It's a heart response. And I would say it this way. It is a heart. It's bowing the knee and surrendering the heart to Jesus. Right? Confessing Jesus Lord is bowing the knee. And then believing in, is a heart surrendering to him. And so that's belief. We're going to come back to the gospel in a little bit. But for now, I'm going to propose that the A and B of the ABCs should be the R and B. Right? Repent and believe. We're, okay? Repent and believe gives a better idea of what it means to admit that we're a sinner. And that's what Jesus taught, and we're going to go with what he taught. Do you remember what the C stands for of the ABCs? It's said differently, so there's no, I, I can't, I do remember, I looked up on our website, because I wanted to be like, how, what does it say? Choose to follow. And that's exactly where Jesus is going to go next. It's where Mark's going to go. Jesus says, repent and believe, and now we're going to see what that looks like in a couple guys' lives. So return to the scriptures in chapter 16. Here's what we're going to see. Repentance and belief will always lead to following Jesus. Repentance and belief will always lead to following Jesus. So Mark's going to show us a few examples to be a disciple of Jesus means that we follow him. So here it is in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Do you notice at this point, there's no hesitation whatsoever? The invitation to follow for these guys, whatever had happened up to that point, there was repentance and belief because they were immediately in, and they were all in, right? So um, Mark intentionally wants us to see the immediacy of their response. Mark uses that word immediately a lot, and he's trying to get some attention here that they immediately responded yes to Jesus' call to follow him. True repentance and belief will always lead to saying yes to following. Do you know also that Mark wants us to see that they left everything? 
That's a very important theme, both in, in, the first, in Simon and, and Andrew, but also in James and John. They left everything to follow him. Kind of gets to the repentance life change, right? Who's Lord now? Jesus is Lord. So if he says, follow me, I'm going to leave everything to follow him. And so Mark wants us to see that that's what true belief and repentance leads to. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the cost of discipleship. I think it is one of the holes in the target that in American evangelical Christianity, we have not been talking about. So how are you and I going to live with a Christian worldview in these times if we're not willing to pay the cost? And I'm, I'm convicted of that in my own life. But I believe it's a very important piece of discipleship that we're going to consider uh, on, on uh, October 15th. But when talking about the ABCs, I'm going to propose that C should be this. Consider the cost and choose to follow Jesus. Consider the cost and choose to follow. Because there is a cost. And it's worth it. He's worth it. But for now, we can think of the ABCs. The C just stands for change, right? It's a major change. These guys don't even know it, but they're willing to, they're willing to follow him. I just want you to look at the verse 17. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Do you see how massive the change is in their life? What is Jesus going to do? He's going to make them become that is a journey, isn't it? And then also, what's he going to make them become? Fishers of people, right? He's going to make them become somebody who's useful for his purposes in this world. That was his mission. And he's going to say, I'm going to make you to become on mission with me. So when we choose to follow Jesus, he takes who we are and what we do and he makes us into something useful for his kingdom and his purposes. And so for these guys, they were fishermen. Are there any, well, are there anybody in here who earns a living fishing? Probably not, right? Are there fishermen and women? Okay, I see a few of you. Um, so Jesus takes who we are and he makes us into something new for his purposes. And we're going to look at that further in the next few weeks because that's a very important part of discipleship. All right, how does this happen for us today? It happens the same way it happened to them, right? We hear the gospel, right? But it's not Jesus preaching it in his voice. How do we hear the gospel today? We've got four of them, right? That's why they called them gospels. And we have the community of faith to teach us and bring us understanding of the gospel. So we still hear it, and we still are called to repent, to change directions, and to believe, and then to follow. So it's not different than it was for those first people, except for that one difference. Jesus isn't with us in bodily form, but he's spirit, and he's truth, and he's close. And he invites us actually into an intimate relationship with himself. And we're going to get to look at that next week. Because it's the essential piece of discipleship.
it is the bullseye of the target, is that we've been invited into fellowship with Jesus and with one another. So, I just want to share quickly my story. I came to faith as a child, and it's a good thing because Jesus said it only takes the faith of a child. In fact, he told adults, you have to have the faith of a child if you want to inherit eternal life. And so I came to faith as a child, and it's because my parents faithfully brought the gospel to me. And it's because my Sunday school teachers brought the gospel to me, and I was introduced to Jesus. And one day, on January 8, 1976, my mom just found her journal. She was reading the story of Noah, and I was troubled at the judgment of God for sin, because I knew I had a sin problem. What five-year-old doesn't know that, <laughs> right? Your parents remind you all the time. <laughs> so I knew I had a sin problem. My parents took that opportunity to explain the gospel. You don't have to be afraid of God's judgment. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. And I put my faith in Jesus as a five-year-old and I didn't understand the depth of it, but I had the childlike faith. And then when I was 16 years old, up at First Baptist Ukaipa, I decided to be baptized. And that was me realizing I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And I have not lived my life perfectly from that day forward. And that's a good thing because the gospel is not for perfect people. The gospel is for people who are still going to stumble and fall and struggle with sins and have to confess and repent. But since that day, the gospel has become so rich to me, and it's because of what we did at the beginning of our service. We sing about the gospel to be reminded of it every week, of how precious it is and how broad we can never fully understand the richness of what Christ has done for us, especially when we zero in on the cross. And so we sing about it, we hear testimonies about it when we get baptized, right? We share a testimony, we walk through the gospels together. How precious was it for us as a church to go through John recently, right? To meet Jesus again in the gospels. And then Jesus in the upper room said, remember me, do this together. And he gave us this activity as a gathered body to share in communion. And so Jared's going to come out and he's going to lead us in receiving communion together. And then I'll come back afterwards and finish the message. Well, as Bill said, we're going to be receiving communion. So if you need to get a communion packet, please do so. If you need some help with that, would you just raise your hand and Someone around you would uh, love to come and to serve you uh, in that way. Uh, throughout church history, those who've heard the good news of Jesus and who've responded to the call to come and follow him have participated in two significant practices that identify them as followers of Jesus. The first, it begins with water baptism, and the second is this. It's, it's communion, or as we often refer to it as the Lord's Supper. As followers of Christ, they would do what we've been doing here this morning, praising God in songs, hearing the word of God taught and explained, and then encouraging one another, praying with and for one another. And then at the time uh, together, they'd gather around a table and they'd eat of the bread and drink of the cup as a physical 
and tangible reminder of the gospel of Jesus and what he did and accomplished for them by dying on the cross. Uh, before we partake of communion, it is very important to realize that communion is for those who are disciples of Jesus. It's for those who have heard the call to repent, who have believed the good news and have said, yes, I have chosen to follow Christ. So whether you responded to that call early on in life like Bill did, or maybe uh, you responded just this week, uh, we welcome you to partake if you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. But if you're not yet a follower and haven't said yes to Christ, then before you partake of communion, we'd encourage you first to put your faith in Jesus and to become his disciple. Well, how do you do that? Bill just articulated it really well for us. He outlined it for us this morning. First is you need to repent. You need to have a change of mind. You need to have a change of heart. And you need to turn from your sin and unbelief. And second is to hear the good news, the, the good news that the kingdom of God has come in the person and in the work of Jesus. That Jesus, the perfect and sinless one, out of love for you and out of love for me, willingly gave his body to be crucified on a Roman cross, and then he shed his blood to forgive us and to bring us in the right relationship with the Father. And then C, as Bill said, is to choose. It's to choose to come and to follow him and to bow your knee daily to follow him. So if you said yes to Christ, if you've made that choice to follow him, then would you go ahead and take your communion packet and would you peel back the top layer and grab uh, the wafer here, the, the piece of bread. The night before Jesus would go to the cross and die for our sins, we're told that he gathered in the upper room with his followers. And as they were eating, he took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat for this is my body. Let's eat together. Then we're told he took the cup, uh, the cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out uh, as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Let's drink together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that just at the right time, Lord, you brought the king and you brought the kingdom. And Father, that good news has been proclaimed for 2,000 years. And we want to not only hear it and respond and follow Christ, but Lord, we want others to do the same until he comes again and he uh, consummates the kingdom perfectly. And so, Father, until that day, help us to be a people who continually live by faith in Christ, who continually count the cost and choose daily to follow Jesus because he definitely is worth it. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins in his name. We thank you, Father, that not only are we forgiven, but we are freed from sin. And Father, you have made us to be new creations in Christ, created for good works. So Father, help us to be a people who are zealous for those works until Christ comes back, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Please stand and let's sing this together. Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty. Yes, the Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, he is wonderful. All praises be to the King of kings and the Lord our God, he is wonderful. All praises be to the King of kings and the Lord our God, he is wonderful. Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty, yes, the Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, he is wonderful. You may be seated. Amen. So today what we've looked at is the first step of discipleship, the step into the kingdom. And what we're going to look at moving forward is the next steps of discipleship. What does it look like once you've heard the gospel and you've decided to follow Jesus? What does it look like? And how do we journey together in those steps as disciples, as Jesus followers? And so I'm going to move a little faster here just to be able to um, get out on time. But the fourth point, and this is really important, is that when the disciples talked about new believers who had never met Je Jesus, remember, they had not met him face to face. This is 40, 50 years after he ascended and went back to be with the Father. The, the apostles are writing their epistles to try to help believers live this life of following him together, and they used the word called. Whenever they were talking about that initial decision to follow Jesus, to when the day that you became a part of his kingdom, it, they used the word called. But they also used that word to talk about what a believer, a follower of Jesus, should be about. And so we're going to visit four different categories or pursuits of a disciple over the next few weeks of what does it look like to walk with Jesus? Because here's the thing, and I think we can miss this in our American culture, is that, and this is your fourth point, following Jesus is a daily walk with him. It's not just a one-time decision. And I put the word just in there because the one-time decision changes everything. 
super significant what happens in our lives the moment we put faith in Jesus. But the walk with him is a daily walk. And that's what we're going to talk about is what does that look like and how do we do it together over the next few weeks. So um, I was going to look at 1 Thessalonians 2 because it's a way that Paul is talking to new believers, and he uses the word calling, and I just want you to look at it real quick. He says, for you know, he's been talking about his role bringing the gospel to them, okay? So if you read right before, he's talking about the gospel like five times. He says, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who what? He calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you see the beauty of discipleship in this verse? First of all, how did Paul interact with the Thessalonians? As a father with children. So when we think about how do we do this together, we do it as a family. Paul modeled this for us. The apostles modeled this. Second is walking in a manner worthy of God that's going to get at the next steps of discipleship. And what's it about? Honoring God. It's about worship. And who calls you in his own kingdom and glory? Paul is talking about an ongoing walk with Jesus, not just a one-time decision. The word calls is not in the past tense. Here, it's a present tense journey with Jesus into his own kingdom there's the gospel, right, of the kingdom and glory. And glory reminds us about where it's all headed. This is about eternal life, the presence of God. And it also reminds us of our, our primary purpose is to be worshipers. It's to give God glory. It's, it's to, he's worthy of that. And so that is where we're headed. And um, the last verse in this passage, verse 13, he says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, there's the believing, right? You receive it. The word of God is the gospel. When you heard that you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So there's work to be done Jesus is making us to become something, right? And that's the work of the word of God, of the gospel. So the gospel is not just how discipleship begins, but it's how, it's what sustains it. It's how it continues all the way until we're in eternity in heaven with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at. Here's a sneak preview of the discipleship target that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. So we're going to find, looking at the 10 ways that Jesus used the word disciple and the, and the ways that the apostles talked about our calling, we're going to land on four different areas of focus for the life of a believer. We are called into the fellowship. We are called to be like Jesus we are called to sacrifice, and we're called to bear fruit. And so I encourage you, come back next week, 
and let's continue this journey with Jesus together toward transformation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we delight in the beauty of who you are, of your son Jesus. Father, we thank you for the celebration of the good news of the gospel, for your word that makes it clear to us, that brings understanding, for the people in our lives that teach us and treat us uh, as a, a father to a child, as brothers and sisters. Father, thank you for this kingdom that we get to be a part of together. And I pray, God, even this morning, if, if, if there are people that have just are being encouraged to take that step in, that this would be the beginning uh, for them of a journey of discipleship into eternal life. And that we would be the kind of community that receives with open arms and nurtures that growth because it's happening in us as well. Father, I pray that you would do this, that uh, this would be a season in our life as a church to focus in on your heart and purpose for us. And we pray that above all things, this would bring you all glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is the end of our service. Um, I want to remind you there's a prayer team that's always here to pray with you for any needs that you might have. Um, but if you take a first step of discipleship today, um, we want to help you take the next steps. So please let one of the pastors know. Please let the prayer team know. Uh, we'd love to help you uh, continue that walk with Jesus. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next Sunday.